ever seen the movie, but I want to give you a quote from Robert Duvall. I don't know if any of you ever saw the movie called The Apostle. Um, Robert Duvall grew up in a Christian home. Robert Duvall said that although he grew up in a Christian home, he never heard much about the Holy Spirit, but because he kept hearing so much and reading so much about the Holy Spirit, he decided that he'd like to make a movie, and he came up with this script about a preacher and the Holy Spirit, and every single movie studio turned him down. It took him 15 years, but then he decided he would produce it himself, and it was a <clears throat> box office hit, and I can't tell you to this day why I haven't seen it. That should be a movie that I've seen, and, but I was just recently reading you know, what <clears throat> different people thought about the Holy Spirit, and I came across this quote by Robert Duvall. He said, filmmakers hardly ever depict spirituality with such, strong, such a strong emphasis on the Holy Spirit, and when they do, it tends to be patronizing, full of charlatans and snake handlers. And I was reminded one Sunday morning when um, one of our new converts here at the church who had given their life to Jesus, they came to me on a Sunday and said, you know, Pastor, I just recently told my family that I had given my heart to Jesus and I was going to Woodland Church and, and it was a spirit-filled church. And they says, oh, those are people that handle snakes. And she says, you don't know my pastor. He hates snakes. And, uh, I, and I said, well, good for you. That's about as clear of explanation. And some of her family has come and worshiped with her from time and time to time. And they're precious folks. And it's just been really joy to have them come. But that's kind of the idea that a lot of people have had about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so first of all, what I'd like to talk to you about this evening is the mystery of the Holy Spirit. The mystery of the Holy Spirit. There's a great deal of confusion. There's a great deal of controversy when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Now, in my lifetime, I have visited churches where the Holy Spirit is hardly even acknowledged. And then I've gone to other churches where people have just done some of the most bizarre things that I've ever seen. I told somebody one time, I've never seen anybody roll down the aisle. I never have in all the churches I've been to. I said, I did see somebody run the pews one time, but that was in a Baptist church. And the Baptist pastor was so excited. It was an independent Baptist church. And my pastor had sent me to a bus ministry conference because he wanted a bus ministry at the church when, back in the 80s, when, uh, actually in the 70s, when I was a youth pastor. And... Um, I went to learn how to do bus ministry because nobody did it better than the Baptist. And pastor of that church got to preaching and he jumped upon the pews and he ran the back of them all the way to the back. I got to tell you, I was impressed. Not that I thought that was the Holy Spirit, but I was impressed with his agility. So I came back and I said to Becky, I said, I wonder if I could do that. And she says, nope. I'm telling you, you can't do that. So I've never run the back of the pews, but there's all kinds of things. I've read about people who, who have barked like dogs. I've never seen that. I've read about people who've, who've howled. I've never seen that. But I have seen people minister to deeply by the Holy Spirit. 
But what happens is the most sensational and the crazy things, those are the things that get put on television that people often think about. A.W. Tozier, that I've recommended his books to you many times, he says, when the average person thinks about the Holy Spirit, he's, he's likely to imagine a nebulous substance like a wisp of invisible smoke which is said to be present in churches and to hover over good people when they die. Well, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not an it. He's not a laser beam from God. He's not the force. But the Holy Spirit is a person. And here are three things that I've learned. You can write these out to the side if you want to. But I, I have learned over the years that Pentecostals and Charismatics tend to focus on the power of the Holy Spirit. On the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you've been with me for a long time, uh, years and years ago, I preached a message called Power and Process, the Ministry of the Holy Spirit. There is power. There is a wonderful working power through the blood of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But there is a process also called discipleship that we're called to do. The second thing that you might want to write down is evangelicals tend to focus upon the Holy Spirit drawing lost people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that's the reason that the Assemblies of God, though it's a spirit-filled denomination, that we're a part of the national evangelicals and have been uh, almost since our beginning, since the beginning of national evangelicals. And we have had numbers of Assemblies of God leaders who have served as the leader of the National Association of Evangelicals. Because it's not about some nebulous thing. We really want to see lost people come to Jesus. And then the third thing that I've noticed about the Holy Spirit and how people tend to think of it, think of him, is that the Roman Catholics tend to focus upon the work of the Spirit through the hierarchy of the church, through the Pope, through the cardinals, through the bishops, through the priests, and so forth, and, and how the Holy Spirit works. Whereas in evangelical churches and, and Pentecostal and charismatic churches, we tend to focus upon the priesthood of the believer, that all of us have been called to be priests. We recognize an ordained ministry. We recognize a called and ordained ministry, but we don't say that these certain, uh, that, that you have to go to a priest, for instance, to be able to make your confession, you can confess to Jesus Christ your sins. It doesn't hurt you. The Bible says we should confess our faults to one another. There are times where we need to open up and, and share with one another as well. But here's what I have, have learned. If you go through all 66 books of the Bible, and I could take you from Genesis to Revelation, and over the years, I believe that I've done that, but I've tried to show you that, that it is God the Father who actually, as our creator, he breathed his spirit into us. God breathed in us and we became a living soul. The second thing that I've tried to show you over the years is that Jesus Christ is fully God and he bought our salvation. He bought our salvation at the cross with his blood. And the third thing I've tried to show you over the, over the years is that the Holy Spirit, he works in us, or he has wrought, to use the old King James Version, he works in us, he works out in us that sanctifying process or that process where we go become more and more like Jesus. And so you might could just simply say that the Holy Spirit simply is God with us, God in us, and God for us. 
God with us, God in us, and God for us. Let's say that together. The Holy Spirit is God with us, God in us, and God for us. And that's a good way to think it. One of my professors uh, taught us, he says, the Father thought it, the Son bought it, and the Spirit wrought it. And those are real easy ways to remember things. The Father thought it, the Son bought it, the Spirit wrought it. And so Jesus himself, he also uses an analogy about the Holy Spirit that I think is important for us to focus on tonight. He said the Holy Spirit is like the wind. He says you can't see the molecules that make up the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. Uh, you can see, I was walking in the park and praying the other day, and there was a tree that had been uprooted and just laid over on its side. And I walked over and looked at this massive stump and this root system that had come up out of the ground and thought about the power of that wind gust that must have brought this great big oak tree down and just laid it on the ground. And I thought, Holy Spirit, that's what I want you to do in my life. I want you to fill me. I, I don't want you to knock me down, but if you need to, that's okay. But I want you to fill me. I want your power working in me. And, and I say this unashamedly. I, I just recently said this to a, a small group that I was speaking to. I want people to sense the presence and the power of God in us wherever we go. Amen? I don't want folks necessarily going, oh, Dennis Clanton is a great guy. I, want, I hope they say that, but I want them going, Dennis Clanton serves a great big God. That he serves a loving father. He serves a Lord that has saved and changed him. And that should be the heart and the goal of every believer. Tonight, just look at this verse. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Circle that word. There is freedom. Just circle that one word, freedom. So tonight, what I kind of like to do in these next points is just show you some of the freedoms that God gives us. First of all, he's our counselor. The Holy Spirit is our counselor. And there's such freedom in counsel. I love it when I'm talking with someone and I'm sharing with them and maybe they've come and asked me to pray with them and talk with them and we seek the Lord together and you see, boom, you see the light turn on in their eyes. You see suddenly the burden begins to lift and you see the Holy Spirit begin to work in them and they begin to sense, I can do this in Christ or you can sense I am going to be healed in Christ or you can sense I'm going to recover in Christ. There's a freedom in that. It's the reason that counselors stay booked. It's the reason that psychologists and psychiatrists stay booked. And the Holy Spirit is spoken of as the counselor. Look at this next verse with me. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, circle that word in your outline, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Now, if you will, Paul, back up to the previous screen. The word advocate can, is the word paraclete. And we've talked about this before. The paraclete, the advocate, is one that's called to walk alongside of you. He's called to be with you. He's a counselor for you. Some translations, the King James Version, if you remember, uses the word uh, counselor there. He is our counselor and he's with us and he never leaves us. Go to the next screen if you would. That word convict, circle that word in your outline, that's a comforting word to me. 
I want the Holy Spirit to convict me of sin. If I go to the doctor and he finds a spot on my lungs, or if he finds a spot on my face, I want him to go, here's a problem. That's conviction. I want the problem dealt with, and I want the cancer removed from all the margins. I, I've got a spot that's been developing on my hands. And so um, when I was in for my physical recently, because my dad had a number of skin cancers, I, I said, doctor, will you take a look at this spot on my hand? And he goes, that's not cancer. He says, that's sun damage. You need to start using sunscreen. He says, do you use sunscreen? I said, no, I've never needed sunscreen. I'd I think I've only sunburned once or twice. And my grandmother was a Creek Indian, and I can start getting a tan going to the post office. I mean, going to the mailbox. It's just that easy. I said, he says, oh, no, you've done damage. He says, take off your shirt. And he began to show me my arms and my back. He says, there are places that the sun has damaged your skin. It's not cancer. But if it had been cancer, I would want to be convicted of that. In other words, I would want him to identify that. And when God convicts you, he's not convicting you to make you feel bad. He's convicting you to set you free from the things that will destroy and damage your life, possibly your marriage, your family, cause you to lose your job or any number of things in life. Is that, does that make sense? So he is a counselor that comes alongside of us. Jesus tells us that this conviction is a part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which tells me... I'm not God. That's no surprise to any of you, I'm sure. It's not my job to convict you. It's not my job to condemn you. It's my job to feed you and to tell you what the Word says. And then it's your job to take and get before the Lord in prayer and with your scriptures and say, God, is this an area of my life that needs addressing? And friends, I do that every single day. It's those life application principles that I was telling you about. I try to write one of those a day for my life as I read the word. How do I apply this to my life? Is there, is there an attitude that needs adjusting? Is there a promise that I need to obey? Is there a commandment that I need to apply to my life? And this is the work of the Holy Spirit when he begins to work in our lives. And also, I would say this as well. Sometimes people come to me and they go, you know... And I just recently had this conversation. Um, they want to question the deity of the Lord. They want to question the word of God. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean, now, let me be clear. That doesn't mean that an atheist can't go, Jesus is Lord. See, I said it. That's not what that means. No one can say and live that out except by the power of the Holy Spirit. But no one will ever say that Jesus is not the Son of God. No one will ever say that Jesus was not born of the Virgin Mary. No one will ever say that Jesus did not die and rise again for our sins. If that person says that, that person is not full of the Holy Spirit. Now, someone might say, how? I don't understand. How could Jesus be born of the Virgin that's an acceptable question. God doesn't struggle with you asking that question. No one should ever feel condemned, but how did Jesus rise from the dead? Or how will Jesus come back again? But I promise you, the more you read his word, the more you pray, suddenly the Holy Spirit will make these things make sense to you. By the way, I am just finishing, I, I keep recommending books to you. I don't know if you ever go and buy them and read them or not, but I just finished reading Dr. David Jeremiah's book, 31 
Telling Signs of the End. That's a book that ought to be in everybody's library. It's a great book, and I would just encourage you to go pick that up. That had nothing to do with the sermon, but just come to my mind, so I won't charge you for that. The third thing I'd like you to see tonight is the Holy Spirit is my guarantee of God's ownership in my life, and the word of God's, G-O-D, there it is. The Holy Spirit is God's guarantee of ownership in my life. The Holy Spirit guarantees that I belong to the Lord. He's the deposit. Have any of you ever bought a house and you put down earnest money? It's called a deposit. Have you ever went and looked at a car, maybe buy a used car and, and from a somebody and you say, here, let me give you $500 and I will go and, and get them, because they didn't want to take a check, I'll go and get the rest of the money out of the bank. They didn't know you. I had a friend of mine fly up here from Georgia. He found a truck online here in Detroit and uh, so he flew up and uh, spent the night with us and he, um, the guy had agreed to take a check and uh, so he came up and gave him a check for the truck and drove off. Well, the guy had second thoughts after Mark had driven off with the truck and he called him and he says, he said, bring the truck back. I don't know you. I don't know if this check is any good or not. It was a nighttime exchange and, and um, I got on the phone and I guaranteed, I says, his check is good. Matter of fact, this guy could have bought a dozen trucks without a second thought, you know. I said, his check is good. Here's my name. Here's where I pastor. Here's where I'm at. And, of course, the guy's check. But it's earnest. The Holy Spirit living in you. Now, here's a distinction I want you to make. Everybody belongs to God by right of creatorship. Everybody. Everything. But not everybody is a child of God. Okay? When human beings rebelled against God and sinned against God, our sins separated us from God. But God's presence in us bears witness with our spirits that we belong to him. Let's read this verse together tonight. Paul, if you'll put that up on the screen. Let's just read it again. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news, that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Those two verses are just so packed with power. The Spirit of God in you is a reminder to you the best is yet to come. The Spirit of God is a reminder to you, especially upon your deathbed, when you may be suffering or you may be fighting for those last breaths of life. It's a reminder the best is yet to come. The Spirit of God is a reminder to you when you're being persecuted for your faith that the best is yet to come. I've often shared with you uh, how those Christians were beheaded in Libya and, and how they refused to recant their faith. Until I read Dr. Jeremiah's book, I did not realize that one of those men that was executed on the beach was not a Christian. He was a Muslim. And when he wasn't the kind of Muslim, though, that these ISIS people thought he ought to be, 
And he watched every one of those men refuse when they asked them if they would recant their faith and they would put their faith in Allah. Every one of those Christian men refused and they sawed their heads off with a knife as they decapitated them. And when they got to that Muslim man and says, will you become a faithful Muslim? He looked up at them and he says, their God is my God. And he died as a martyr along with him. You see, what gives you the power to do that is not an emotion. It's the promise of the Holy Spirit within you. It's the reason that time after time again, I try to remind us, greater is he that is within us than he that is within the world. We cannot take our eyes off of who dwells and who lives within us tonight. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this evening? That word, by the way, his guarantee. It's like an embossing. If you have a college degree or if you have a, a legal paper like your marriage license and it's been embossed or maybe you've had something done by a, a, a it signed at the bank and they've embossed it. That's that same word. You have been embossed with the Holy Spirit. So when you look at one another tonight, you look at people and go, man, you're looking more and more like Jesus every day. Because that's what the Holy Spirit, and if you're not looking more and more like Jesus, you've probably been leaking and you need to get refilled again. We talked about that already, all right? So the third thing I want you to see tonight is the Holy Spirit is my coach, my coach. Pastor Rick and I were talking about coaches yesterday. We were talking about coaches that we admired and I loved Tom Landry. I love the way he carried himself. I love watching Joe Paterno run up and down the sidelines. I love Coach Mark Rick and the, and the way, the example that he presented for the Georgia Bulldogs and his, his faith in Christ and how he was unashamed of his faith in Christ. Good coaches. I have two coaches in my life that work with me to help me be a better pastor, help me be a better preacher, and, and uh, especially as I'm looking ahead into the future, people that they work with me in mentoring. I met with someone tonight that I'm coaching and I'm mentoring them. I have several people that I work with through the year that I coach and I mentor. And yet, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says something very, very interesting that I want us to look at tonight. Let the Holy Spirit guide your life. And then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Now stop right there. Now that tells me two things. Number one, the Holy Spirit will guide me. Right? Number two, I still have a sinful nature I've got to struggle with. Right? Still have a sinful nature. Do you remember me telling you about when I was preaching in uh, Ethiopia and I went to the Teen Challenge Center there? And these men that had been saved and delivered from demonic possession, lived on the streets, given clean food to eat, clean beds to eat. Remember how I told you that, we had, that they had to watch them constantly because they had lived out of garbage cans and dumpsters. The clean food had no taste for them. And we had to watch because they would go out to the dumpster and get the maggot infested food, the rotted food, and try to mix it in with the clean food so they could enjoy it. It took time for them to learn how to appreciate, appreciate the taste of healthy food. Now, you, you're squeamish about that, but sin is far worse than that food infested with maggots. 
The things we allow into our minds is far worse than that food infested with maggots. So this verse tells me, number one, I need a guide. Number two, it makes me come to face to face with the fact that I also have a sinful nature. Today, Becky and I had a meeting in Northville with another family from our church. And on our way back, we were talking about this very passage and how that, you know, I think sometimes Christians get frustrated because occasionally they're tempted with desires or they're tempted with things. They go, where did that come from? Well, I think there's two things. Number one, the scriptures are very clear that when we're tempted, we're drawn away by those sinful desires that are still there. But the more we serve Jesus, the less and less we want them. The more we listen to the coach, the more we want them. My sister called me tonight because through our Apple watches, we keep track of each other exercising. We're kind of accountability partners like that. And she goes, big brother, you haven't exercised in two days. I go, honey, it's been really busy. I've got a lot. She goes, that's no excuse. One day you don't worry about it. Two days you're starting to have it. She says, do you know who told me that? I go, I hate it when my little sister throws words back in my face and I told her. But you see, that's the accountability that we have. That's the encouragement that we have with one another. The Holy Spirit is the coach in our lives. Let's keep working on with this. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. So sometimes you have to just go, when you find yourself wanting to do something you know is not pleasing to God, you just, you just look that desire straight in the face and go, you know what? I want to be selfish. Right now, I'm going to do something super generous. I want to be more like Jesus. Or right now, I, I, I want that maggot-infested thought or entertainment. Right now, I'm going to go read my Bible. Or I'm going to read a good Christian biography. Or right now, I'm caving into fear. I, 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 you know, I don't want to share. Instead of witnessing to one people today, I'm going to share Christ with two people today. And what you're doing is you're doing strength training. You're exercising. You're pushing yourself. And you know who gives you that desire to do that? It's the Holy Spirit. Now, please hear me on this. Your carnal nature never wants to do what God wants you to do. It's the Holy Spirit that prompts us and leads us to do the good things of life, the excellent things of life that we were talking about Sunday morning. So every once in a while, when I sense you need to go over and just ask, can you pray with this person in a restaurant or at the city hall or something like that? I, I don't have to worry about that being the devil. There's nobody the devil wants me praying for because God answers my prayers. And, you know, and God answers your prayers. That's not cocky. He says, ask in my name according to his will. And so, but... Oh, you know, what will people think? Maybe they don't want me to pray. Maybe it's not. All they can do is say no or yes. And most of the time people say yes. And that's the Holy Spirit coming alongside of you and coaching you. Go on to the next screen, Paul. Sorry to make you work so hard back there, buddy. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the, is the, the sinful nature wants us. Look at this sentence. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. Now that's a heavy statement. I am not free unless coach is there. 
Next screen. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. And then down to verse 25, since we are living by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let's follow his leading. He's going to be there with you. He's going to coach you. He's going to lead you. He's going to be hands-on in your life. He's not only going to be hands-on in your life, but he's going to empower you. So when you go over and pray for that person, or you go over and you do something kind or generous, or you go over and you help somebody, we not only believe in the process, but we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to make our work and to make our ministry effective. In a lot of ways, living for Jesus is an uphill climb. In a lot of ways, living for Jesus is swimming upstream. Dead fish float, right? And dead fish stink. And I preached in a few dead churches over the years. Live churches, they're constantly climbing the mountain. They're constantly swimming upstream. And if you will follow the coaching of the life-giving Holy Spirit as you read your word, you will go from faith to faith, precept to precept, promise to promise, victory to victory, until finally you receive your heritage in Christ. Can we give him one more hand of praise tonight? To me, that's a wonderful thing. Well, not only is the Holy Spirit my coach, but then the Holy Spirit gives me spiritual gifts. And man, do I want that. Because I learn as I climb this mountain, as I follow him, then the Holy Spirit begins to give me gifts. And this is where it can be a little controversial. And this fall, I'll come back and I'll do some more teaching on this. Matter of fact, I'm going to do a message this fall called The Controversial Gifts of the Holy Spirit. And because this is where sometimes Christians begin to part ways. There are a lot of Christians that are confused. The Corinthians were confused about spiritual gifts. So let's look at this next passage from the book of 1 Corinthians tonight, if you would. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. First thing you need to know, you have a spiritual gift. You probably have more than one. So look at your neighbor if you know them. Don't creep somebody out. But look at your neighbor if you know them and say, you've got a spiritual gift. Yeah. Now look at your neighbor and say, and you're supposed to help me with that spiritual gift. You see, spiritual gifts are not a toy. Virginia, Larry, y'all sitting by yourselves back there. You got a spiritual gift and you're supposed to help me with a spiritual gift. And no, I've not read IBD paper, but thank you for bringing that to me tonight. Um, I, I recognize that the gifts that God has given me, they're a responsibility. And they're a responsibility to make me a servant. They're not a responsibility. And this is where, and, and I'm not throwing any rocks, this is where I have a little bit of struggle with people who try to use gifts to elevate others. It's not about elevating us, it's about us becoming servants. If our Savior took and girded himself about with a towel and knelt and washed one another's feet, how much more should we be willing to serve the lowest and the meekest and the humblest among us? Does that make sense? And so whether we're in positions of great influence or whether we're in positions of small influence, that makes no difference. What makes the difference is that we acknowledge 
We have a gift. You have a gift tonight. And if you don't understand that, get through 101, get through 201, and then go through with Pastor Rick and Hines, go through our, our Discovering My Ministry, our Spiritual Gifts class here, and discover the gift that God has given you, and then learn how to use it. And you don't learn how to use your gift overnight. Let's keep reading. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. Now stop right there. So far, we've got no problem understanding that. But do you know there are some people, they just seem to have extraordinarily more faith. But that's not so that they can take a bigger offering. That's not so that they can pack out a crusade and spend 30 minutes of a 90-minute service taking an offering. And that's the reason, that's part of what Robert Duvall was talking about. And that's part of what I meant at the first of the message. The person with great faith takes the form of a servant like everybody else. Okay? To someone else, God gives, the, the Spirit gives the gift of healing. Again, not to elevate them, it's to lift up the name of Jesus. It's what the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit never talks about himself. He talks about Jesus. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy or preach. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still, another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages or tongues, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts and he alone decides which gift each person should have. So it means, Webb, I shouldn't envy the gift that you have. That means I should just serve in the gifting that I have. That means tonight, Daryl Lynn, I shouldn't envy the gift that you have. Or Dick, I shouldn't envy the gift you have. I go, God, you're not fair. You gave Dick this and I don't have this. And if you will be trustworthy with one gift, God will probably give you two gifts. And if you're trustworthy with two gifts, he'll probably give you four gifts. You say, Pastor, do you think it's possible to walk in all nine of those gifts that are listed in the book of 1 Corinthians? Absolutely, I think it's possible. Well, Pastor, which gift is the most important? Because I've heard some say that tongues is the least of the gifts. That's a misinterpretation of the whole context of what he's saying. Even if it was the least of the gifts, I'm going to tell you the most important gift is the gift needed at the time. Okay? I don't need somebody with the gift of mercy when I need the gift of prophecy. Okay? I don't need somebody with the gift of service when I need the gift of healing. It's the gift that you need at the time. Your family may need the gift of services, somebody to come alongside because we're always asking people, and did y'all pray for Dave Anderson tonight? We're always asking people to help in situations like that. But Paul says these gifts are for us to be able to serve one another. The reason that I keep driving home to get to these classes, and I was just talking to an individual tonight, and he said, Pastor, we've not been to those classes, the person I'm mentoring. And I want you to hear me on this tonight. A healthy, vibrant congregation is a congregation that lives and moves in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Again, that's not stake handlers and charlatans. That's not people standing up in the middle of a service and screaming out in tongues. 
Paul says, I'd rather speak five words in a service like this that you can understand than 10,000 in tongues. That's so that you and I can go out of this place into the marketplace, into the schoolhouse, into the, to the field, wherever it is, and we can move and operate in the gifts of the spirits that God has called us to do. They need the gifts of the Spirit on the line at Ford. They need the gifts of the Spirit in the bank at PNC. They need the gifts of the Spirit at the University of Michigan. They need people full of the Holy Spirit all around about us. So that's the purpose. And when we come together as a church then, we throw our front doors open on Sunday and say, whosoever will come. And we try to identify those needs and hurts and interests that all of us have. And so that unbelievers can see that believers still face those same battles. We talked about the sinful nature craving. And here's how God helps us. Here's God will help you if you give your life to Jesus Christ. This is what will happen. Your life will be transformed. And then we come together on Wednesday nights and we do what we're doing here this evening. And that brings us freedom. Because all of a sudden, we're not moving enslaved by the sinful nature. We're moving conquering the sinful nature, overcoming the sinful nature. It's why I say from time to time, the fact that I'm a Christian doesn't mean that I'm sinless. But it does mean as I grow in Christ, I sin less and I sin less and I sin less. I have been very privileged and very fortunate through the years to have preached around the world, a lot of churches, a lot of business meetings, you know, banks that have asked me to come in and do leadership things, companies that have asked me to come in, boards that I've sent on from other companies. And I have found great freedom, a lot of times saying, I'm not qualified for what you want from a board member because I don't understand this work, I don't understand that. And they say, that's not why we're asking you to be a part. You see, friends, your gift in the Holy Spirit will open doors for you you could never open with your degree, you could never open with your skill sets, but because people sense the freedom and the power and the process. If there's anything I would say to spirit-filled people, is stop looking for power all the time. Also, welcome the process. Amen? So would you stand with me tonight, and uh, they've got rehearsal starting here in a few minutes, but we've got time to come to the altar this evening, and I'm going to ask you, if you would, to come and join me at the altar, and I just want to pray with us through all five of these points tonight, and let's just yield ourselves to the Lord. Hallelujah. Just find a place and kneel down, and I'm going to just pray over each one, and then we're just kind of going to wait on God for just a little bit. Hallelujah. Mark, I don't know if you know this, so let me kind of sing it a cappella. If you know it, you pick it up. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is peace. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is peace. There is comfort in life's darkest hour. There is love and joy. There is peace and power with the Spirit, with the Spirit of the Lord. 
Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is peace. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is peace. There is comfort in life's darkest hour. There is joy and peace. There is love and power where the Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord. We know, Holy Spirit, that you are God. We don't understand all there is about you, Father. We know that the salvation we enjoy, that you've thought it, Father. We know that Jesus bought it. And we know the Holy Spirit is working it out or wrought it in our lives tonight. And so I pray that you'll help us to be more and more aware that God is in us tonight. When we confess our sins and receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, God is in us tonight. You're not only with us, you're not only for us, but you're in us. Hallelujah. Would you just acknowledge that to him in your prayer right now? Just thank him. He lives within you tonight. And there can be peace in your heart. There can be joy in your heart. There can be comfort. <laughs> and you can know that you are loved. And because you're loved, you can take the risk of loving others. <laughs> that all comes because of the Holy Spirit living within us. It's risky to love, I'll admit that. Marriage is the most risky of all relationships. But because you're loved, you can risk loving others tonight. Hallelujah. Well, the Holy Spirit is also your counselor tonight. God will give you wise counsel as you read his word. The scriptures will become real and alive to you. As you pray, open my eyes, oh Holy Spirit of God, to see things I've never seen before. Speak to my heart. This morning in my Bible reading, the Lord made a passage from Psalms so real. And in that moment, I just sensed him say, this is a blessing. I want you to pray over the prayer service on Saturday night. Oh, it's all God's word, but every once in a while, God just makes something so real to you. But he will counsel you. He will guide you. He'll lead you. And when he convicts you, it's not to make you feel bad. 
It's to heal you. I fear not experiencing conviction. I fear a hard-hearted life or a busy life. I fear the barrenness that a hard heart or a busy life will bring. I want that ministry of the Holy Spirit. I want to be more and more like Jesus. You want to be more like Jesus. You want people to sense his presence. Hallelujah. 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 And the Holy Spirit living within you, that's God's guarantee you belong to Him. No one can snatch you out of the Father's hands. Nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Satan cannot pull you down. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Just thank him that you're a child of God tonight. Hallelujah. He purchased you with the blood of his son. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, we thank you for the mystery of the blood of Jesus that washes us white as snow. We thank you for the mystery of the shedding of blood without which there is no forgiveness or remission of sin. And though sometimes I don't feel like it, you have cleansed us. You have made us whole. You have made us vessels fit for your Holy Spirit to dwell in. It's not something we've done. It's what you have done. Would you just receive that tonight? It's what he has done in you. <laughs> How could I ever bring anything unholy into what God has cleansed? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now let's acknowledge him as our coach. He's more than a counselor. He wants to build you up. He wants to strengthen you. He wants you to get in the game. He wants you to be a part of that vanguard that pierces the darkness of this world. 
And he's not sending you out unprepared. But even tonight, he's prepared you through the preaching of the word. And you're taking time to wait upon him in the altar. And don't be surprised at the battle that you feel in your spirit sometime. You just follow the coach. Don't second guess the coach. He's giving you the manual. Hallelujah. Lord, in the words of Coach Lombardi, when it comes our time to come home, Lord, we want to leave it all on the field. Lord, we want to leave it all. We want to have given it our all. Oh, God, we're not worried about burning out or rusting out. We know we are being renewed day by day by the wonderful power and presence of our coach who coaches us on our spiritual nutrition, who coaches us, Lord, upon our, our physical preparation, who coaches us, oh Lord, upon our emotional and mental preparation. And oh Lord, finally you equip us with spiritual gifts so that when we go out to play this game, Lord, the gifts of the Spirit we have, Lord, they are mighty. They pull down every stronghold. They conquer everything the enemy throws our way. Those men who fought that somehow or another they were stamping out the name of Jesus, the blood of those 21 men shed upon that beach, Lord, cry out, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. And churches are springing up and prayer groups are springing up across Libya no matter how much the murderous hatred of hell is spewed out at them. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, I thank you, Jesus. Now, Lord, I ask you this evening as we kneel in this altar, God, would you raise us up from where we're kneeling or sitting tonight full of hope and recognizing the person and the presence and the power. I believe the Pentecostals and Charismatics have got it right. There is power in the name of Jesus. I believe the evangelicals have got it right, Lord. You are, by your Holy Spirit, drawing all men to God. And I believe the Roman Catholics, Lord, have got something. But Lord, that priesthood is for all the believers. You have made us both a nation of kings and priests unto you. So we bless you for that tonight. For it's in Jesus' holy name I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen, and amen. Praise God. God bless you. I love you.